So very excited that you're here today. My question to you is, and it's out there on the uh, on the marquee. Well, if you want to call it a marquee, it's actually a really cheap sandwich sign. Um, but in any event, and it's also the question that is the title for our service today online, and that is, um, what is your greatest enemy, or who is your greatest enemy? Oh man, it's not a politician. Whichever side you're on. You might be convinced if you're watching the media that it's, it's a politician. Um, you might think, well, it's debt, definitely. Well, that's, that can be an enemy for sure. Um, you might think, well, no, there's a particular person that hates me and they're my enemy. No, it's not that either. You might think, oh, it's the devil. Of course, it's the devil. But believe it or not, I don't think that that's your greatest enemy. Now, the greatest enemy to human beings is death. But Jesus conquered death, amen? So if you're in Christ, put your thumb up like this. Say, this is me. This is Christ. If you're in Christ, then you don't have to fear death, right? Death is a release from this life. Now, a lot of people look at death that way, but if they don't know Jesus, then they don't have that confidence. So here's what I'm going to say to you. If you have put yourself in Christ, then you still face an enemy. And that enemy could be construed as the flesh, but I think that it would just be better for us to say, my greatest enemy is me. My greatest enemy is myself. So how do I defeat my greatest enemy? But yet, I don't want to defeat me because, right, I want to overcome. I want to succeed. I want to be victorious. Well, but my greatest enemy is me. When I am self-focused, self-centered, self-gratifying, then I may do all sorts of things that I would not think of myself as otherwise doing. The question has been asked, and I have asked it and answered it a number of times in this church, um, are human beings basically evil or are they basically good? Now, philosophers and theologians have argued that point throughout the centuries, but my answer to that question is, are human beings basically good or basically evil? My answer to that question is always yes. Human beings are basically selfish. And that's our problem. Your greatest enemy is you. Are you a child? It's still you. Are you a teenager? It's still you. Are you an adult? Your greatest enemy is still you. You see, Jesus said, and we've been talking about um, discipleship over the last three weeks. Jesus said that you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. What does deny yourself mean? That means you put yourself to the side altogether, right? We're not trying to teach self-loathing, right? Self-hatred. But we're not going to teach self-loving either. Because perhaps many of us, if not all of us, have heard throughout um, our time in the educational system and even the church educational system, you can't love anyone unless you love yourself first. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. It's bunk. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's baloney. Okay. In fact, excessive self-love is the problem between me and loving other people. What I need is to receive God's love and let that flow through me. I don't need to loathe myself. I don't need to focus on loving myself. I just need to push myself to the side. So if you're driving a car, what I'm trying to say is get yourself out of the windshield and into the rear view mirror. Does that make sense? 
So you've got to keep an eye on yourself. You've got to glance at yourself. But what the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching us to do was to abandon self. That's what I uh, said to you guys the, the very first week. And I played that little snippet from that old, um, that old song, uh, We Will Abandon It All for the Sake of the Call, Stephen Curtis Chapman. He used to be a real famous Christian artist in the late 80s and early 90s. And so we abandon everything that we value in order to take this surpassing value of Christ into our lives. That's what Jesus meant by saying, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Now that first week I said that there are people who are just Jesus fans. They just like the idea of Jesus. They like the feeling of Jesus is just a good, you know, uh, a good feel for them, right? Uh, they've seen him as a hero and they're fans. Yay, Jesus. And there are people that just follow Jesus around. Hey, well, what have you done for me lately, God? I just want to see, you know, what you're going to do for me next. I'm following Jesus around. But as soon as he says anything that's harsh, as soon as he confronts us with ourself, then we turn away like those disciples did when Jesus said that he was the bread of life. And then he moved on further and said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be my disciples. That's like, oh, what is that? Well, he was speaking symbolically. In fact, he said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. He wasn't saying literally, here, take a chunk out of my arm, okay? What he was saying is you need to absorb me into you. And the only way that happens is through his spirit, right? And there are people that, uh, what I say is that, that there are people that follow Jesus around, and there are, Jesus, there are people that follow Jesus along. And that means that they're really not following Jesus, they're just following along with other people. Young people, this is what teenagers, children do a lot. They do what other kids do, right? We used to call it, back in the day, peer pressure. Have you ever heard that term, peer pressure? So what everybody's doing, and that's what I want to do. So obviously, one of the purposes behind a good children's ministry, behind a good youth ministry, is to provide positive peer pressure, right? Peer pressure is not bad as long as you're pressuring people to go the right direction. But you know what? Even then, you have to have your own mind because you may just go to church. You may just go along because everybody else is going along because these are the people that you know. And so that means that this faith that you claim to have is really not yours. It's others and you're following them along. So this is why kids, at some point, you have to decide, you know what? I appreciate my parents because they're Christians, but I have my own faith and that's important to me. And I have to establish that as mine. Now, it doesn't have to be weird or different or anything like that. You just need to establish that you have your own faith, okay? As I've said before, and I didn't coin this phrase, God doesn't have any grandkids. Think about that for a minute. He just has children that he adopts into his family. So the second week uh, after, well, I, I said, you know, we abandon it all for the sake of the call. Um, and then the second week we talked about basically people who do abandon the call, Right? So we're supposed to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. But then when Jesus puts the pressure on, then some people just abandon the call, and they walk away. And then last week, Pastor Craig talked about the discipline of discipleship. Notice, and if you were here last week, you heard this already, that the word discipline sounds like the word disciple. They have the same root. And I like what Craig had to say. You're going to be disciplined. You might as well apply self-discipline. Amen? Because if you belong to Jesus... The scripture says that God is like a good father and he's going to discipline his children. If you really do belong to Jesus and you've been adopted into his family, then you're going to be disciplined. Better for you to discipline yourself than for him to discipline you. I'm not going to re-preach Craig's sermon. It was superb. It was excellent. You and I need to choose to be disciplined people. And I don't mean just discipline in the way we eat or exercise or whatever. Those things are good. But I'm talking about discipline in our following of Jesus, discipline in the word, discipline in seeking to become more like Jesus. Okay?
So this week, I want to talk about um, defeating your greatest enemy, which is self. That's good. Okay. I want you and I to understand that our goal is to be selfless. From selfishness to selflessness. Now, there's a couple of different ways to look at that. There are people who serve others. They're very selfless, at least so it appears. I mean, they work very, very hard at serving others. They do a far better job than I ever dreamed of doing. And they appear to be, and may well be, selfless. But their focus is others. But that's not what I'm going to teach you this morning. You and I need to go from egocentricity. There's an old word. Ego, what does ego mean? What does ego mean? Yeah, so, ego. So, egocentric would be what? Self-centered. We need to go from egocentricity, where everything is a reference to me. What about me? What about mine? Right? How come nobody's thinking about me? To being other-centered? No. To being theocentric. The Greek word for God is theos. So, what does theocentric then mean? It means to be God-centered. Really, that's got to be our goal. We need to choose to be centered on God, to be focused on God, to constantly bring everything under the, the rubric of His sovereignty, right? It's not, do I want to do this? Hmm, I don't know. Do I feel like this? That's self-centered thinking. No, what I need to ask is, is this your will, Lord? Lord, is this what you want? Instead of carrying on that constant conversation that all of us have with ourselves, we need to open our minds up and start talking to the Lord. Stop talking to yourself and start talking to God. You say, I don't talk to myself. Yes, you do. Everybody does. Right? It's called sub-vocalization. If I were to hook up sensors to your vocal cords right here, and you were to walk around throughout the day, let's say I hook up a couple of sensors here, and they're Bluetooth, so they, they talk to your phone, and let's say we had an app in your phone that detects every time your vocal cords move. You would be shocked, perhaps, to notice that your vocal cords are moving all day long. Well, why is that? Because we all talk to ourselves. It's how we give ourselves direction. It's not a bad thing. You're not crazy, right? Now, if you start answering yourself, then you might need to worry. But we all do that. We all give ourselves direction. I do all the time. I'm kind of hard on myself. I'm like, Daryl, what is wrong with you? You know, I say that all the time. But God is not hard on us like that. So what I do is I go from that constant conversation with myself to a constant conversation with God. That's how you pray without ceasing. And when I do that, it teaches me to be God-centered, right? Now, above all, even if I don't feel love toward God, I need to revere God. I need to fear God. Now, this, kids, is not the kind of fear where you run away from something that's scary. This is the kind of trembling that says, no, you're, you're right, you're right, you're right. right. I believe in you. I love you. Please, be on my side. All right? I need to have that sense of God's presence and God's power in my life at all times. Now, this isn't just a, a, a mental construct. This isn't just a, 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 a concept in, in the mind. This is you actually getting before the presence of God by virtue of inviting His Spirit to come and live inside of you. And that happens when you choose to put Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. When you say, I give up and I give my life over to you. I give up, I give my life over to you. 
The fundamental confession of the Christian faith is Jesus is Lord. Can you say that? Jesus is Lord. Did you mean that? Did you understand what you meant? See, Lord means he's the king. He's supreme. He's the sovereign. He's the one that is over you. That's what you're saying. God has given you this capability of uh, self-determination. And I believe very strongly in self-determination. In fact, really to a fault. Because there are some people that are self-determining themselves in the wrong direction, and I can see how destructive it is. And I'm letting them walk all the way to the edge here, but I believe very strongly in self-determination. You have to make up your own mind about stuff. I don't believe in a nanny state, right? I believe that even parents who are good parents are going to begin to allow their children to make some decisions on their own and let them fail. Now, you're careful. You're trying to keep them from doing any sort of permanent harm to themselves or to others, but you have to give them that leeway, that rope, if you will, to go out and make some of those decisions, even though you're like, I have told you and told you and told you, and you're not listening to me. Well, then what you may have to do is let them go out and trip and fail a few times. Right now, I'm not trying to teach you how to parent. Believe me. I'm simply saying, I believe this is what God does to us. Right? This is why people get themselves in trouble and like, God, man, I don't believe this. Or that's how I would talk anyway. Right? I just don't believe you. Let me do this. How did I do this? All right? Or maybe I'm even blaming God. God, why? Why? And I need to look at myself and say, why is because I decided to step out the boundaries of God's will and decided to start doing some foolish things, some self-centered things, things that I thought that the culture teaches are healthy or okay, acceptable, my own personal choice and so forth. And yet they have these consequences that then I have to deal with. And then I have to drag all of that back to the Lord and ask him to forgive me and cleanse me and change me and, and help me and all of those things, which is what I should have been doing all along. But the point is, when I come to know Jesus and I say Jesus is Lord, I am turning over the authority to tell me what to do, to say yes or no. I'm turning the authority of my life over to him. So this is why I tell people all the time, you don't want your way, you want God's will. Amen? Say, I don't want my way. I want God's will. Now, when you can say that for yourself and mean it, then you're on the right path. So what I need to do is I need to see myself in Christ. I need to invite his spirit to live in me. And then I'm going to uh, go verse by verse through this scripture. And I won't keep you long, I promise. And since I made the promise, I better not, right? <laughs> well, here it is. This is Colossians chapter 3. This kind of fleshes out that idea of self-denial. What does that mean? It means that i got to think differently. I've got to put myself in Christ, see myself on the cross with Christ, see myself in the grave with Christ, and see myself as a new person resurrected with Christ. That's what baptism is all about. Felix, I remember baptizing you right here. That's what baptism is all about. I remember your dad baptizing you, Jubilee, right here. All right? And we say buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. You've got to think like that all the time. That's not just a one-shot deal. That's a very, very powerful symbol, and it's something that Somebody didn't just say to you, it's something that happened to you. So you can remember that. You know, I've been baptized more than once, all right? There were other times that it was a, an act of rededication. I won't go into all of that because I don't want anybody to get confused. I didn't think I was getting extra grace. I didn't think I lost my salvation or anything like that. But I still remember the first time I was baptized. It was the next Sunday after Easter Sunday. I was saved on Easter Sunday. I gave my life to Jesus on Easter Sunday. 
a really long time ago, all right? How many of you were alive in 1978? That's when I was baptized. That's when I was saved, back in 78, right? So the very next Sunday, I went to a baptismal class on Wednesday, not unlike the class that I teach for all you guys. Autumn, I remember baptizing you too. And um, the very next Sunday, I was baptized. I can remember stepping down into the baptistry, and I can remember there were, uh, there, was, there were three steps. There was one, there were two, and then there was a third step, and it was really long, and I didn't know that. I almost baptized myself. <laughs> I stepped down one, I stepped down two, and then the third step was like, whoa, and the pastor had to catch me and keep me from going under. It's like, why don't they tell you that, that that third step is really, really long, so, but I mean, he was good at baptism. Pastor Jackson was good at baptisms. He did three, four, five, six, seven baptisms every single Sunday. This was a huge church. I've told you before, the reason that I heard the gospel was because that they broadcast their services on television, which is why we're big on getting our, our services out there on YouTube and allowing people to watch where they are. But in any event, I can still remember, right? And he put me under and I kept my eyes open. I wanted to keep my eyes open. Now, some people can't do that and the water was chlorinated, but I kept my eyes open and I remember seeing the water lap over me and come up. And I had heard him say, what I say to you guys when I baptize you is exactly what Pastor Jackson said. I didn't learn that in seminary. For whatever reason, they didn't teach us baptism in seminary. I don't know why, but I just baptized the way Pastor Jackson baptized me, right? Buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Why am I going, going over baptism? Because I want you to understand that that is a symbol that teaches you what has actually, factually happened to you in the Spirit. There is a new you. And that new you is God-focused because that new you was reborn in the Spirit. There is a new you. And, but you don't, you don't understand that new you by trying to look in some kind of mirror. You know, say, oh, well, yeah, I like the new me. That's good. That looks, yeah, that looks really good. No, the only way you see the new you, are you ready? Is to look in the face of Jesus, right? So I've mentioned this song before in here, I'm trying to get some more followers of this band. Uh, the band is called Stars Grow Dim. And if you listen to their music, you would think that an old guy like me wouldn't like it, right? Because it's very pop sounding. And the guy that is the singer's name is Chris Cleveland. I believe that's his name. But they have a song, and it has a phrase in it over and over. I am who you say I am. It's so awesome. I'm not who I feel like I am. I'm not this identity that I have pursued or that other people have, have called me, right? I am who you say I am. And I look in the face of Jesus, and that's how I see who I am. Now, you want to hear something beautiful? You might think, okay, yeah, but if all of us are like that, we're just going to be clones of each other. No, we're not even going to be clones of Jesus, right? We're called the body of Christ, and we're, we occupy different places in the body. Look at your own body. Now, this is not my idea. This is the Apostle Paul's idea. You're the body of Christ. Look, at I have fingers, right? I have hands, I have arms, legs, etc. okay? Different parts of the body, but the same body, right? One body. You are the body of Christ, and you have a part in that body, and your part is not identical to somebody else's part. So you know, let's just take that example. Uh, if, if I were a finger, there are other fingers, but are all my fingers the same? They are not. In fact, I have two pointer fingers, but they're not the same, are they? So there are people that share gifts, but they're still not the same, and we're still the body of Christ. Every one of us can be just like Jesus and still be absolutely unique. Isn't that amazing? That's beautiful. 
If you want to find out who you really are in Christ, you have to look at Jesus. That's the only mirror that is going to allow you to see that. How do I get to the place where I defeat my, my most uh, uh, avid enemy, right? My most hated enemy, or should be my most hated enemy, uh, my most virulent enemy. Well, what I do is I identify with Jesus. Listen to this scripture. Colossians 3, verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Notice, not if. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, I'm going to read the rest of this, but I'm probably not going to get into all the rest of these verses. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And that relates to the skit that they did today. So there's a lot that, that could be taught here, but I just want to look at these first four verses very quickly. All right. Since you have been raised with Christ, we need to see ourselves as having died with Christ, but we put the focus on the resurrected Christ. That's who we follow, right? We don't follow the crucified Christ. We follow the resurrected Christ. So he makes that assertion that you have, in fact, been raised with Christ. This isn't a feeling. This is something that happens when you are in Christ. You go through that process of death, burial, and resurrection, and you stay on the resurrected side. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts or set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What do you think about throughout the day? All kinds of things, right? Oh, we're busy. We're worried. Okay. We're distracted. We're, we're, we're full of all sorts of animosity sometimes. Sometimes it's stirred up by the culture, sometimes by other people. We've got all these thoughts that go through. But what I need to do constantly throughout the day is I need to refocus, refocus, refocus my attention. Set your hearts, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. There can be good earthly things or bad earthly things. But you know what? Even the best earthly things aren't setting your minds on heavenly things. Amen? So even when I'm doing something mundane, right, um, fixing a toilet, I, I'm terrible at this, and I had to do the, fix the one upstairs, and it's still leaking, all right? Um, I got this nasty stuff all over my hands. I don't know what they put on uh, toilets when they screw them together, right? It wasn't what you think it is. It's some kind of greasy, goopy stuff that plumbers use, right? And, and so I'm finding that my mind is set on hate, hate, hate toilet, right? And I'm thinking, I, I want to know, I just want to know who the genius was that came up with this cheap technology that they use in toilets, okay? It's just ridiculous. It doesn't matter. Even when I'm doing something mundane like that, or tech, you know, I have to do all this tech stuff around here. All these different things that I have to do that I hate, I can set my mind 
on Christ. In fact, I find myself having to reset and reset and reset and reset. You ever have to do that with your computer? Okay, control, alt, delete, reset, 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 reset. Turn it off, turn it back on, right? Your Wi-Fi router is down. Hey, don't call them. Just turn it off, unplug it for three minutes, plug it back in. It'll probably just come up without them, right? Or you'll find that it's just a system outage. This is what happens to me all the time. What I'm trying to say is whatever your mundane is, it might be something important, like chasing your little wonderful children around all the time, right? But that gets on your nerves too. It might be your job. But I can focus my mind on heavenly things even while I'm doing that. I can choose to do those things for Christ's sake and not for my own self-centered sake. Then he repeats it, verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So remember that throughout the day, set my mind on heavenly things. There used to be a saying, um, and it was during a different time in our country, obviously, and in our world. Um, and the saying was this, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Have you ever heard that saying? But see, the reality is virtually everybody today is so earthly minded that they're no heavenly good. If your mind is set on Christ and your focus is there, you're going to be better suited for everything that you're doing. You're going to be better at your job. You're going to be a better parent. You're going to do a better job at whatever that mundane task is. It might be dishes. Have I ever said that I hate doing dishes? I hate doing dishes. And I think the reason why is when I was Jubilee's age, I was the dishwasher. I said, Mom, can we get a dishwasher? And my mom said, we have one. It's you. <laughs> So I would wash the dishes and I would put them away to dry and then the inspection would come, right? Come in there, nope, 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 there's still stuff stuck on here and they would just put them all back in there. I'm like, Oy. So to this day, I still hate washing dishes. I don't know what the deal is. I used to mow lawns and this is why I don't have a yard because I don't like mowing yards either, right? None of these things are bad. I'm just saying, I don't know what your mundane is, but whatever it is, I can flip the switch and I can focus my attention on the Lord. Then he makes this statement. Notice, he doesn't say you need to die to yourself. He makes a statement. He says, for you died. That's a statement. Past tense. For you died. Keep your mind focused on heavenly things, right? Not on earthly things. You've been raised with Christ, and you need to keep focused on that resurrection because you've died to this down here. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. This is where this comes from. Let's try this again. Thumb up. This is you. Say, this is me. Hidden with Christ. Say, this is Christ in God. That's pretty safe, isn't it? That's pretty secure, isn't it? That's good stuff. You are hidden with Christ in God. Remind yourself of that and remind yourself of that and remind yourself of that because that feels so good, right? But that's real. That's not just a feel. That's something that I know because the scripture says that it is so. The scripture is telling you your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What can penetrate that? COVID? All right. Hey, this virus is really small, but it can't get through Jesus and God. Amen. So even if, you know, and there's been a few of our people that have caught this, even if you catch it, man, the Lord's got you. Amen. We're not going to worry about it. We're not going to fear because my life is now hidden with Christ in God. All right. When Christ, who is your life, notice when Christ, who is your life, that's why I can say with that song that I quoted earlier, I am who you say I am because my life is now hidden with Christ in God. So now I don't look at my life as belonging to me. 
I belong to Christ. Everything about my life is about Christ. What did the Apostle Paul say? In Galatians 2.20, he said, I have been crucified with Christ, and no longer do I live. No longer do I live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live on in the body, he said, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Apostle Paul was completely focused on Jesus. That's what you and I need to be, completely focused on Jesus. Listen, the world is spinning out of control. And the answer to all the world's problems is not for us to go out and, and try to solve them on our own. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't get involved in some way. That doesn't mean you shouldn't vote. By all means, please vote and please pray before you vote, right? But it does mean that we don't need to be fooled or fool ourselves into believing that we can run around and solve all of these problems if we just follow uh, this leader or that leader or this movement or that movement. No, I need to realize that Christ is the only one that's going to solve the problems of this world. Amen? What we need is we need a revival of genuine Christ-focused religion, right? Now, you know that those of you that have been around me know I don't like that term religion, but I'm just trying to help you to understand people have walked away from faith. They've walked away from following Jesus. They've walked away from worshiping. Everybody's out there living life the way they want to live life. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's what it said in the book of Judges. And read the book of Judges and see how crazy the world was in their day, right? Every person, every man did what was right in his own eyes, and there was no king in Israel. Nobody respects the person in power, and it wouldn't matter if you flip-flopped who it was. The previous president, half the country didn't respect that one. This president, half the country doesn't respect this one. Two presidents ago, half the country didn't respect that one, all right? We're all caught up in all these names and all these words and, and, and just allowing the media to thrust us here and thrust us there. Listen, no, I need to set my mind on heavenly things. I need to turn my attention away from all this. I need to realize that by praying, by putting myself in a position of, of praying for people on a regular basis, intercessory prayer, we call that, then I can change things. I can't change you. I can't. I can pray for you. I can point you in the right direction. I can preach the word to you, but I can't change you, right? You can't even change the people that are closest to you, but you can point them in the right direction and you can pray for them. You know what? Jesus can change them. Even the hardest heart that you're thinking of right now, the person that is the furthest away from God, God can change their heart, amen? The Holy Spirit can get in and do a work in them that you could never hope to do. That's why Jesus said, the things that I do and greater things will you do because I go to the Father. Well, how, I'm not walking on water, right? I'm not feeding 5,000 people. I'm not raising the dead. Why did he say I would and you would do greater things than him? He said, because I go to the Father. You want to hear what's greater than walking on water? Do you want to hear what's greater than feeding 5,000? Do you want to hear what's greater even than raising someone from the dead, as in physical death, and then they die again anyway? Somebody's heart changing. And you can pray for people's hearts to change. And you can pray that the Lord will keep moving in on them and pressing in on them and loving on them. By the way, condemning people, treating them with contempt and disrespect doesn't change them. It hardens them. It makes them mad. The scripture says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Not the condemnation of God. Listen, people are condemned without Christ. But if I just preach condemnation 
it won't change those people. It hardens them. Well, that's right. I'm going to hell. All my friends are going to be there with me. We're all going to have a big party in hell. It's a big hell party. Kids, I'm not using that as a cuss word. I'm talking about a place. So don't get in trouble with your parents. I heard pastors say that. But this is what I've heard people say for a long time. You know, rock and roll. Me and the devil are going to party in hell. No, you're not. Devil's more afraid of hell than you are. Hell is utter and eternal separation from God without hope. That doesn't sound like a party to me. No hope, no love, no future. That doesn't sound good to me. That sounds terrible, right? No, when I'm in Christ, then I have that hope of eternal life. And that should reflect in the rest of my life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's the, that's the hope that you have. Jesus is coming back. Amen? Amen? And when he comes back, he's going to bring you to be with him forever. Now, what we do know is this. If you and I die before Jesus returns, we go into the presence of God to await that final resurrection, that final return, to await that judgment day where we receive the rewards that are due us in the body, where we uh, shed this old life and move into that new world that we're going to live in forever, right? But we look forward to the return of Christ. Here's the interesting thing. When you see Jesus, you will also recognize him because you recognize him in you. See, I know when I'm acting in the flesh, when I'm walking selfishly and self-centeredly, when it has nothing to do with God. And I have the ability and sometimes the wisdom to say, you know what? That's not me. That person that's thinking those thoughts, that's the flesh. That's me without Jesus. That's the old man, and the old man is dead. I have been crucified with Christ and no longer do I live. So when I look at Jesus, I see everything that I am intended to be, and in fact, I see everything that I genuinely am. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's why nobody can actually take your life. Even if you lose your, your physical existence down here on earth, your soul, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Nobody can take that away. So as a result, I have the courage and I have the encouragement to go on living for Christ. So how do I defeat my greatest enemy? I realize that he's already dead. Yeah. That's how I defeat my greatest enemy. I say, you know what? That is the old man, and that person is dead. I am a new creation in Christ. For if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Say, everything's new. And that's for you. So stop walking in the flesh. Stop being selfish, self-centered. Every time you find yourself doing that, just refocus your attention. Just stop looking at yourself. Start looking at Jesus and following Jesus. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your word today. I pray that above all that I have heard this word again and that I will obey that word. And I pray, Father, that uh, as I lead in that way, that others will follow as well. I pray your spirit has spoken to people today. I pray that we realize we need to stop being selfish, stop being self-centered, stop being worried about me, and start being focused upon you. And when we're focused upon you, then you give us the wisdom and the courage to know what to do to help other people. I thank you and I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.